Was I on? Was I on there? Okay, cool. Um, my name is Justin Speak. I'm the high school pastor here at Beach Point Church, uh, and I am honored to have the opportunity to be up here and to preach to you all, um, to my friends, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to many of the people who I have looked up to in my faith for many years now. Um, and I'll also, I have to admit that I'm very nervous to be up here right now. Uh, I am nervous twofold, actually. First service, I was only nervous for one thing. Um, it's this service, I'm nervous for two things. The first of which is that someone informed me, thankfully, after the first service, that my shirt is see-through. And I did not have this jacket on in the first service. And so now they've given me a jacket, which is great. What everyone wants the first time they're preaching is for their mom to have to drive them a jacket that they can wear. But that is the situation I find myself in now. Um, the second thing I've been nervous for, though, is that this is... Um, one of the most bizarre passages I have probably ever seen preached here at Beach Point. And um, I say that with 24 years of experience here. So I've seen a few sermons here. Uh, and this one definitely takes the cake. And uh, when Bill actually asked me to preach, I was really excited. I was like, this is going to be an awesome opportunity. And he sent me the passage. And my first response was, no, this is a joke. This is, not, this is not how this goes. Um, but he said it was real, and I assumed I must have done something wrong. I've angered him in some way, and he's punishing me, but he swears that's not the case, so I don't know. I don't want to spoil what's, what's coming in the story. Um, we'll get there. Um, but as I kind of read through, and it's a chaotic story. It's a bizarre story in a lot of ways. And I was struggling to think about what I wanted to say today, what God wanted to say today through me. And... and as I read, as I prayed, as I looked through commentaries and tried to think about this, what stuck out to me was that in this story, there's, there's always a simple truth in the Bible. And in this case, what we see is that with God, there's always more to the story. There's always, there's always more to the story with God. And even in, in a story like this that might seem weird, and, and I know you don't know what I'm talking about yet, but we'll get there. Um, there's still something that God is saying to us Today, So we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 8. You can find it on page 365 in the Bibles in front of you if you'd like. And, and as you're turning there, um, let me just say this about this passage. We're, we're continuing our series on the prophet Elisha, um, the, on the life and the works of the prophet Elisha. So and two weeks ago, Bill started by talking about Elisha's call when the prophet Elijah called him to go all in and he burnt his plows and he committed to living the life of a prophet for, his, for the Lord. And last week we talked about uh, this woman who was burdened by great debt, whose children were going to be taken into slavery and how Elisha helped her in this moment, how a miracle occurred in her life, how a small bit of oil could become this amount of oil that could pay off all of her debts. And today we're going to be talking about faith and faith, as we've seen in the past two weeks, but also faith when times are difficult and when things in life might be dark. And so Second uh, Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 8, I'm going to read through. We're going to go through the whole story. I'll stop every once in a while, but for the most part, we're just going to dive right in. So verse 8. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. 
The woman, the Shunammite woman in the story, she's from this town of Shunem in northern Israel where most of Elisha's work takes place. And what we know about Shunem is that it's an incredibly wealthy area. Uh, it it kind of sits right on these major trade lines in the region. And it's such a valuable town that when the Egyptians conquered Shunem a few hundred years prior to this, they conquered actually all of Israel. Uh, what they highlighted in their notes was that they'd taken the town of Shunem and it was a great prize to them. This is an incredibly wealthy place. And for this woman to be a well-to-do woman, a woman with great wealth in the town of Shunem means she is very well off. Uh, she has what she needs when it comes to financial resources. And so, but we also know that she cares deeply for the Lord. She cares deeply about his prophets and so when Elisha comes, she wants to prepare a place for him. She wants to have, give Elisha a place where he can stay. And so she builds another room on top of her house in addition so that Elisha, when he's doing the Lord's work in the area, has a place to rest. Verse 11, one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her you have gone to all of this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she, also, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Elisha wants to repay the generosity of the woman. He recognizes how kind she has been to build this room, to build this addition for him. And so he wants to give her something in return. And so he sends his servant Gehazi to ask her, what, what would you want? What could you want right now? And she says, I have a home among my own people. She's saying, I'm good. I've got everything I want. But Elisha sees through that a little bit and he asks Gehazi, what can we give her? And Gehazi recognizes she has no son, she has no child. And for a woman of, of great wealth like this in this time in the town of Shunem, that would be something that everyone desired. A child for you to pass on your wealth to, somebody who could carry on your legacy. And so we see that Elisha says, God will give you a child. And immediately we see from her response in verse 16, she says, No, my Lord, please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. She's saying to Elisha, don't get my hopes up. I've given up on that dream. I've given up on that hope. Don't give my hopes, don't get my hopes up when it comes to having a son. But what happens is that a year from then, she gives birth to the son she'd wanted all this time. What a blessing that is. Verse 18, the child grew. And one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. And his father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. 
She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. The woman had received this great blessing, this gift she'd always wanted from God. And then he dies. And in that moment, she knows she has to go to the man of God. There's only one person for her to go to in that moment. She has to see Elijah. And so she gets up and she gets ready to go. She asks her husband for the donkey and he tries to say, well, now's not the time. It's not the new moon. It's not the Sabbath. What's he going to do for you? And she just says, it's all right. She's dead set on going to see Elisha, on seeing the man of God. She's saying to her husband, yeah, yeah, I get that. I've got this. It's all right. Verse 25, so she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said, the same thing she said to her husband. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Elisha realizes something's wrong, but he just doesn't know what yet. And the woman says, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? In that moment, she is angry. She's frustrated with Elisha. You said I would have a son, and I said, don't get my hopes up. And Elisha realizes in that moment what has happened. Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, "'Call the Shunammite.'" And he did. When she came in, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. What a story that is. And now you can imagine why I reacted the way I did when Bill said, this is what I get to preach on for my first time. 
But what we see from the faith of the Shunammite woman, what we see from the faith of the prophet Elisha is that with God, there is still always more to the story. With God, there's always more to the story. For the Shunammite woman, her story doesn't end with her living childless in the land of her people. It doesn't end with her experiencing the joy of finally holding her son in her arms. And her story doesn't end with the sorrow and the despair of holding that same son in her arms as he breathes his dying breath. In the midst of all that hopelessness, in the midst of her joy, in the midst of her despair, God, the faith of the Shunammite woman recognizes that there's still more to this story. And for Elisha, his story doesn't end with the fulfillment of being able to pray and ask God to give the woman the son she's always wanted. It doesn't end with the crushing weight of hearing that her, his friend's son had passed away. And it doesn't end with the terror of realizing that his first plan for raising the boy to send his servant Jahazi hadn't worked. The faith of Elisha shows us that with God, there's always more to the story. And there's a version of the story, of the Jesus story, of the story of faith that tells us falsely, I believe, that the life of faith is going to be an easy one. It falsely tells us that what Shakespeare calls the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, but what we think of as the situations we find ourselves in life, the challenges we face in life will suddenly go away if we have enough faith. It's a story that tells us if we have enough faith, our financial hardships will go away. If we have enough faith, our housing situation will improve. If we have enough faith, all of our relationships that are broken will be healed right away. It's always saying, if we have enough faith. But in reality, that's not the story of faith that the, that the faith of the Shunammite woman, the story of faith that Elisha shows us. What these stories show us is that the life of faith isn't linear. Go back to your, your high school algebra class for a second and remember doing those graphs, right? And the idea is simple in this, that we imagine all the time, and, and it's our own fault, it's the fault of culture, it's the fault of the church sometimes, but we paint this picture of the life of faith, that it's this graph, this straight line that's always going up and always to the right, that each day will be better than the last, that we are guaranteed this happiness, this ease of life, life this comfort. But what we see is that that is not the case. The Shunammite woman, she has incredible faith in God. And yet in her life of faith, her life is a roller coaster. Just about six weeks ago now, my, my wife and I had our first son, Jude. And um, getting to hold Jude in my arms was this moment of incredible joy. This great moment, probably the most joyful moment of my life. It was so exciting. And I can only imagine for the Shunammite woman what it was like, the joy to hold the son in her arms that she'd been waiting for for years, that she'd lost all hope of ever having. And I can't even begin to imagine that sorrow and despair that she felt when she, not just a few years later, held her very son in her arms as he breathed his dying breath. 
She had remained faithful to God in all of it, and yet her life was a roller coaster. Her life wasn't this perfect, easy life. Just last week, we saw a reminder of the grim reality that our world is a fallen place and that our faith doesn't make us immune to the pain and the suffering around us, to the evil that's around us. As I was sitting here at the 1115 service, I was sitting right here in the front and uh, it was in the middle of worship and, and my wife wasn't here yet and my phone started to buzz um, a lot. And I started to have that moment of panic um, that maybe something was wrong. And so I committed the cardinal sin of looking at my phone during worship. I apologize for that. But what I looked and what I saw was not text messages from my wife or phone calls. It was news alerts that said, shooting in Texas church, 25 killed. And here I am standing there in the middle of worship, praising God and learning that there are 25 people in Sutherland, Texas, who had come to church to do the very thing I was doing right then and who were gunned down while doing it. It is a dark reminder of the evil in this world. And I don't have an answer for why it happened. I can't explain why it happened. I know, the best I know is that God has given us the ability to choose. And some of us choose to use that ability to do really sickening things. But what I do know is that it was a reminder to me that a life of faith is not going to make me perfectly safe from the pains of life. And I know for each and every one of us, we've experienced pain in life. And I I pray, I hope that for you, it's not the same pain that First Baptist Church in Texas is experiencing today. But we've experienced other pains. We've experienced the pain... Uh, of, of losing a loved one. We've experienced the pain of the ending of a relationship. We've experienced the pain of receiving that notice that we're going to be evicted. We've experienced the pain of struggling health for ourselves, for our family. And in each moment we're reminded that our life of faith isn't always going to be this linear life, this perfect life. It isn't always going to be comfortable. It isn't always going to be painless. It isn't always going to be easy. In fact, I believe Jesus paints a very different picture of what the life of faith looks like. Jesus himself says that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And if we're going to say we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, faithful followers of Jesus Christ, that means that we are going to find ourselves in that same boat sometimes. Jesus says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. He says, you will be handed over to be persecuted and to be put to death. And if we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, that means we're going to suffer sometimes in those ways. We're going to experience pain in ways that we might not want, in ways that we definitely don't want. 
When Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me, it's an invitation not to an easy life, not to a comfortable life, not to a painless life, but to a life that involves picking up your cross, carrying the very means of execution that they would kill Jesus Christ with, to suffer for Jesus, to suffer alongside of our Savior. When we say we're going to have faith in Jesus Christ, it means we're not going to have an easy life or a comfortable life. We're going to have no guarantees that things will be always better each and every day. But it isn't supposed to be an easy life of faith. It's supposed to be a challenging life. A life where we will see hardship and burden. But what we do know through our faith is that we have hope. We're not guaranteed a perfect easy life, but we are given hope because with God there is always more to the story. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we have a new hope. From Elisha's role in the story here, we see this, that faith must be placed in the right thing. Faith must be placed in the right thing. As the Shunammite woman tells Elisha that her son has passed away, Elisha finds himself in one of those valley moments those dark moments of his life where he, he, he doesn't know what to do. And in that moment, he turns not to God, but he turns to Gehazi and he says, take my staff, go lay it on the boy's face. And in that moment, what Elisha is doing is he's saying, Gehazi, go with my power and my authority. That staff is a symbol of Elisha's own power, of Elisha's own authority. And in that moment, that valley of his life, he equips his servant not with the power of God, but with his own power. He relies not on the authority of God and the greatness of God, but in his panic, he turns under his own authority. And what happens? Gehazi goes, he places the staff on the boy's face, and nothing happens. The boy remains lifeless on the bed. And Gehazi gets up and he turns around and he goes back to Elisha. The people of God have placed their faith in the wrong thing time and time again, just like Elisha. All the way back to the Exodus, when God leads his people out of exile, out of slavery in Egypt, He leads them into the desert. He guides them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud of smoke by day. And then within a matter of no time at all, they've abandoned their faith in God. They take all their gold together. They melt down the gold into a calf and they worship an idol of their own hands. In just moments, in the panic, in the darkness of their valley of life, they turn away from God and they put their faith into the wrong thing. And that's the story time and time again for the people of God. And we are no different than God's people thousands of years ago. When things get difficult in our lives, when things become challenging, when we find ourselves in the valleys of life, it becomes very tempting to put our faith in the wrong thing. It becomes very easy to put our faith in whatever it is that we think might give us hope in that moment. Like Elisha, we put our faith in our own abilities, 
in our own hard work. We say we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're going to earn our way out of this valley of life. Like the Pharisees, we put our faith in traditions, in structures, in the way things were done in the past that remind us of when things were good in our lives. And so we put all of our faith in those things rather than in God. We place our faith in people, in politicians, in people who tell us the things we want to hear, who stoke our fears and make us feel like they have the answers we want to hear. We place our faith in that nest egg, in our savings, to that we say will sustain us if times get difficult, that will protect us if things get bad. We place our faith in our past successes, in the things we've done in life, and we say we'll rely on what we've done in the past. We place our faith in the people around us, in the coaches, in the teachers, to get us through, to tell us how, what we need to do to get to where we want to go. But look at the fruit of Elisha's faith when he places it in the wrong thing. Gehazi places the staff on the boy's face and what happens? Nothing. The boy lays there lifeless on the bed. And in our own, our own lives, the same thing is true. When we place our faith in ourselves, we're filled with the stress and the anxiety of the worry, whether we can make it or not, whether we can work hard enough or not, whether we can earn our way out of this or not. We become slaves to appearances and traditions, concerned that even the slightest of change could unravel the whole thing. We become zealots for people and politicians, and we go all in for an ideology rather than going all in for Jesus Christ. We focus solely on making money so that it can sustain us when things get bad. But we lose track of the God who loves us. When Elisha realizes his mistake and he arrives at the house, he takes a moment to pray. And then he faithfully performs an incredible miracle. He brings the boy back to life. Both the Shunammite woman and Elisha recognize that their situation is bleak. Things don't look good, but yet they place their faith in God. Through them we see that faith trusts God in hardship. Faith trusts God in hardship. For the Shunammite woman, I cannot even begin to imagine how difficult a time that was for her to lose her son like that, the son she'd been waiting for. And yet she places her faith in God and in his prophet. And she makes the 25 mile journey from her home in Shunem to the prophet in Mount Carmel. And for Elisha, he finds himself in the valley of hearing that his friend had lost a child. That his first attempt 
at saving him had failed. And yet he puts his faith in God when he arrives at the house and the boy is raised from the dead. In our own lives, we're called to put our faith, to, our faith calls us to trust God even in those hardships. And in many ways, God is already at work in our hardships. Elisha performs this miracle, which is a weird miracle where he places his hands on the boy's hands, his eyes on the boy's eyes, his mouth on the boy's mouth. And life is breathed into this boy. This boy who was dead is made alive again. And for you and I, in our own hardships, Jesus Christ is at work performing that same miracle. Because for you and I, when Jesus went to the cross and they placed his hands on the cross and nailed them there, Jesus Christ placed his hands on our hands. When they raised him up and he could look out at the crowd that taunted him and said, here is the king of the Jews as they crucified him, that mocked him, that scorned him. Jesus Christ placed his eyes on our eyes. When Jesus let out those final words and said on that cross, it is finished. He placed his mouth on our mouth. He lay where we should have laid and he breathed life into you and I, even in the midst of our hardships. Even in the midst of the trials of life, we have been given a hope in Jesus Christ. And we're not guaranteed an easy life. We do ourselves a disservice. We do the people around us a disservice when we assume that the life of faith will be easy. But when we place our faith in the right thing, in Jesus Christ, we have life breathed into us. We are given hope for the life of the future. What was dead has been brought to life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross. And so now for us, we're called in faith to trust God in our hardships, to trust God in our challenges in life. So as I close, I want to leave us with two questions. Two questions to think about together. The first is this. Where are you placing your faith right now? Where are you placing your faith right now? And what hardship is God calling you to trust him in? What challenge in life is God calling you to trust him in the way that the Shunammite woman trusted in him, the way that Elisha trusted in him? 